I love the end of that song, uh, that line. Uh, Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world the treasure you found. Uh, What a great line. So here's what I'm going to need from you this morning. Are you ready? I need some help this morning. I got a little bit of a cold. I got too many kids. I'm kind of tired. So I need you to, do you need you to be with me? So we need some amens today. I need, I, we need to we go. So we're going to practice a little bit. So I'm going to say a few phrases. If you, so what amen means is simply this. Amen means like I agree with what you just said, right? I'm going to coach on this again. We've done this a few times. I'm going to do it again, right? So um, you can say um, I can get down with that. That's my favorite phrase. That's kind of what amen means. Um, right on. Um, keep it going, preacher. Even if you want to go back to like the 90s, you could say word up. Like you could say that and that would work, okay? So you can just, or just straight word. Like that's, that's cool. You can say that, okay? So, so today, just practice here for a minute. At the North Canton Chapel, we simply believe one really critical truth about Jesus and that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Word, I got a word up front. All right. Right? We believe that we have a savior that didn't just, didn't just come and live a good life, but he came and died on the cross for us. Amen. Not only did he come and die on the cross, but in the grave he laid, and three days later, he got up from the grave and he walked, he rose from the dead. Hallelujah, Hallelujah. there we go. You guys are getting this, right? And then he ascended to heaven, and not only did he, did he ascend to heaven, but he promised us that he would come and he would indwell those who believe and carry out this greater work in the world. Amen. All right. Get down with that. Here we go. All right. So this morning, we're going to be in Psalm 103. Feel free to amen, word up, get down with that all morning long. So Psalm 103, we're going to read one through five in just a moment, but... You know, one of, the, one of the things in our life that's a major issue that we face is forgetfulness. Anybody in the room have issues with forgetfulness in your life? All right. So my parents had an issue with forgetfulness um, when I was a child. So I grew up in this little church. It was, you know, 40, 45 people. My grandma had the pillow that she sat on in the pew. Like the gum that we had the week before was still in the pew beside us kind of stuff. And there may be one with a lot of it underneath it that I stuck underneath it as a child. And so this little church and, you know, big Sundays, we had to have like 100 people. And it was like, this is crazy. There's 100 people here. How's everybody going to get in? So that's the church I grew up in. And so afterwards, it was all my cousins and all these people around. So after church was over, we'd go outside of the building and we would run around. I may have had my foot run over once on the street. And so, so, so we'd run around and I had three older brothers. And so one Sunday I'm running around, I'm playing. And all of a sudden I, I, I walked out from the church and I saw where our, my parents' car was parked, but it was no longer there. And I began to look around and go, where are my parents? I can't find them anywhere. And I went and talked to people. I said, where's my family? Has the rapture come? I didn't even know about the rapture at that time. Like what has happened? And guess what my parents had done? They forgot Ryan Johnston, the most precious of all of their children they had left behind. And I was alone, never never to be found again, right? This this moment my my parents had left, right? So then quickly they came back and my mother was very sorrowful and I think she thought that I'd been scarred for life and obviously I have. And so... (laughs) 
So the forgetfulness is a thing that happens in our life and probably forgetting our children are marks of things that we probably shouldn't do. Hopefully my mom doesn't listen to this sermon. It'll make her feel bad all over again. And so, so remembering right, is fairly critical in life, not forgetting the important things. And it gets a little bit more serious, right? So when you go to work, it would be pretty bad if you forgot that you were an employee during the day. Sometimes that happens. Have you ever been in work environments where someone forgets they're an employee and all of a sudden they do some things that they shouldn't do at work and then what happens? They get fired, right? Because you need to remember you're an employee. Um, There's other things like um, marriage. It's fairly important that you remember that you're married, right? Because if you forget that you're married, some really bad things can happen, detrimental to your marriage, and will put you in the doghouse for a very long time. And I'm speaking to ladies here, right? Uh, Two. Not forgetting you're married is fairly critical. Obviously for my parents, it was important that they remember they were parenting four, not three. Um, They forgot that that day. Um, These things are important to remember. But in Christianity, there's this critical importance of remembering as people of the faith, our Savior, Never forgetting what has happened in my life because of Jesus. And isn't it easy to forget this most critical thing that there was one who came and lived and died for me when I was hopelessly lost, had no way to get to God, but my Savior suffered and died to set things right, give me a new heart, free me from the chains of my sin. But how often we forget this great news. And in forgetting this great news, we tend to live our lives disconnected from our Savior, living within our own ways, rights, and rules. So Psalm 103 is a psalm of remembrance. So let's stand together in honor and reverence of reading God's word. Psalm 103, verses 1 through 5. read bless the lord O my soul and all that is within me bless his holy name bless the lord O my soul and forget not all his benefits here we go forget not who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Father, would you speak to us today through your word? Lord, would you help me to clearly articulate all that you've said in this text? And Lord, I pray that for each and every one of us, Lord, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, use me, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So in this text, what we see as we kind of begin, it's the very beginning of it. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, the psalmist does this kind of odd thing. You'll see it all over. David does this in his writing. He speaks to himself, right? It's this kind of, this kind of awkward moment of like, hey, is David talking to himself? Like, it, it happens frequently in the psalms. And I think... The reason is, is because he knows himself well. He knows his flesh, and he knows his tendency. 
And so he says, soul, bless God. Soul, bless his holy name. Soul, everything that is in you, you need to do this right now. Because sometimes we don't feel like it. Sometimes we bless ourselves. Sometimes we look toward other things. Sometimes we get distracted. And so in this moment, David is going to make this kind of large statement at the beginning of this. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And again, the O my soul, this isn't just some kind of, hey, kind of flippantly do this. It's, it has like longing in it. The word, that O is inspired. And that O is, oh, like to my bones, don't ever stop blessing God. And then he doesn't make this kind of flippant statement about it. He says, with all that is within me, it's all inclusive. It's kind of resounding to this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, every bit of who I am, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. And then he says it again in just a little biblical kind of hermeneutic interpretation moment. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Anything that is repeated in scripture means this is really, really, really important. And so he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And he's going to say it again. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Forget not all the things that he has done. And so it begins. And so this morning, we're going to look at the, the five things this text says that we should, should remember, that we should make space to remember in our lives. The first is forgiveness. So the first, forgiveness. He says, who forgives all your iniquities. So who forgives? And this is this moment, right? Who forgives all that I have done wrong to sin against God. Who forgives? Meaning that all of us in this room, all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. That we have all sinned, meaning that I need forgiveness. Do you agree with me this morning that you need forgiveness in your life? Right? This is this kind of critical point that societally, we don't necessarily believe this anymore, right? We don't sin, we make mistakes, and we, 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 we kind of soften all of these offenses against God with better language, right? But the reality is, is that we have sinned against God. And in our sin against God, there's this, hopefully, remorse, a feeling of, I've, I've wronged, I've, I've, I've come against the Holy One, the one who made me. So he says, who forgives, this is an, an admission I've done wrong, and he says, all your iniquities. Now, words are really important, right? He doesn't say some, this says part. He doesn't say the ones that are kind of bad, but not the ones that are really bad. It says all your iniquities. Iniquities meaning the, how we've twisted our path, how we've missed the mark that God had for us. So again, all, not one, is in his sight. All, he has the capability to, to, to forgive all our sins. Not, not one will be left unforgiven. In Luke 7, there's a story, um, a record of Jesus' encounter with a woman. And in this encounter, I'm just going to read a few parts of it. You know, if you want to turn there with me, you can. In Luke 7... It's 36 through 50, and the story, how it goes, is, says, And behold, a woman reclined, at the, and behold, <clears throat> a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclined at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, 
began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and kissed the feet and anointed them with ointment. There's this moment where this woman charges into the room, Jesus and the Pharisees. The Pharisees, what is going to happen in the story is they're going to look with disdain at Jesus because he would mess with this woman who was a terrible sinner. But what she was doing is she, she needed forgiveness. She wanted forgiveness. She knew that she'd wronged God. She took the most valuable of her possessions. She poured them on the feet, took her very own hair, which was her identity, which was her beauty. And she rubbed his feet and said, I need you, Jesus. I need forgiveness because she knew how much of a wreck she was. And the Pharisees sitting in their little plastic world, all astute, their chest puffed out, they had done it all right. They needed no forgiveness. Were far, far worse off than the woman at the feet of Jesus. And then Jesus goes into an illustration. And he, the illustration says a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So Simon answers, the one I suppose for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you've judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with, her, with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. That end phrase there, he who is forgiven little loves little. See, all forgiveness flows through the channel of Christ's blood for us on the cross. There's no one in this room with greater or lesser sin. We have all sinned. We all deserve judgment, right? When our girls were young, I, I, I'm, I'm, my parenting is getting better. I remember one time saying, they said, Dad, that's not fair. And I said, you know what's not fair? It's not fair that any of us in this room don't have death, hell, and judgment. So don't tell me about fair, right? Parenting 101 by Ryan Johnston. <laughs> death, hell, and judgment. But there's truth. We all deserve death, hell, and judgment. And only through Jesus, we don't get that. Only through Jesus. And so this... The issue really is, there's no one with greater sin. The question is really two, and it's in their own perception of their con condition and their perceived debt. The perception of their condition and perceived debt, and it's true in this room. What affects our thankfulness for forgiveness is your perception of your condition and your perceived debt. And so in the Christian world, it sometimes works like this. I've been around the church my whole life. My mom was going to church when she was pregnant with me. I was born. Three days later, I was sitting in the nursery. Been around this my whole life. I've lived a pretty good life. You know, I've done a little bit. I smoked a cigarette when I was 16. Never did that again. Right? And I, 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 I kissed my wife one time before we got married. That was bad. Right? <laughs> And I've lived a clean and squeaky life, and I'm good, right? By the way, I kissed Debbie twice, so I'm really bad. <laughs> so, so, I mean, there's, we, we, we kind of, we, we, we think 
well, I've lived a pretty good life, and so my debt isn't much to God. Just so you know, you, you yourself, in your nature, in your flesh, you are an offense to God. Just, just by the sin of Adam that you have received in your flesh. See, our sin against God isn't what we've done. It's our rebellious hearts of saying, I will not be mastered by anyone but myself. I will call the shots for my life, and I will not bow down to another. We are all rebels. We, we have all sinned. And sin is far bigger, far bigger than simple things that I do. It is a very condition of my heart and my life. And so our perception of our debt often leads us to self-righteousness and trying to impose on others our standard of living rather than saying, oh man, only let, let the standard of Jesus be imposed on you because none of us have measured up to that. I'm not looking to my right nor my left because there is only one who has given me forgiveness and nothing that I've said or done has ever achieved anything. See, this morning I hope that God might tweak for all of us the perception of our condition and the perception of our debt because we, we were helplessly lost. And we have a debt that we could not pay ourselves. Only Jesus could pay the debt. Only Jesus, only Jesus could remedy our condition. Second thing we see in the text is healing. Healing. So we see that he's given forgiveness all of our iniquities, and it says, who heals all your diseases. Now, this is a peculiar statement, right? Who heals all your diseases. So who heals makes completely well. That's the idea of this. The word heals literally means makes completely well. All your diseases, all meaning every last one, so your, so to the reader, us, so all of your, our diseases. So how does that work out? Now, I don't know about you, but I've, I, as far as I can tell, none of us get out of this world alive. Five out of five dentists approve that message. Like that's, none of us get out of this. And so heals all, heal all your diseases. If it's talking about here, then that, this text is a lie and it's wrong. Because, like, best I can tell, no one's ever going to be healed like that on earth. You might be healed for a season, but healed forever, completely. If we're going to interpret it that way, we're going to miss the mark. And so in life, it's, it's meaning possibly momentarily, and I do believe that God can heal, and I've seen it happen. I've seen him do miraculous things that I don't know what to do with it, and I, I've seen it happen, and so I just put it up in this, like, I call it my Holy Spirit box. It's just over here. Like, that was weird. I don't know what to say with that. That was a strange thing God did. I believe he can do it. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's keep going, and let's keep believing, right? That's, that's that, that, that place I have for me. You might want to keep that, or maybe you don't have that, but that's what I got. But also... I believe what really this text is saying, in death forever we will be healed through Jesus. There's a day coming where everything will be made right, where we will be healed, and we will no longer suffer the torment of the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our very own flesh in this world, which is failing and dying. I, I do believe right now I have a dislocated rib, right? Like these things are happening, like... 40, I'm coming on 40, my body's falling apart kind of thing. So, and some of you are like, whatever, I'm 65, let me tell you my pains. So let's compete, let's go after this. I hurt worse than you do. And so, uh, 
So, so what it's speaking of, this is bigger than today. This life is momentary. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says, These light and momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. The things that we do on life, they matter, but afflictions are going to come our way. Hardship is going to come our way. Diseases are going to come our way. Pain is going to come our way. You cannot escape it. It is going to come your way, but there's something beyond this world. There's a healing that is coming. There's a peace that is coming. There's a hope ahead of us. There's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's something bigger, better, more wonderful than we could ever think, dream, or imagine. And so when we set our eyes that there's, this isn't it, that one day I will be healed, what does that cause us to do today? To live with greater boldness. Paul says, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. He says, I got nothing to lose because I will be healed forever one day with him. And so we press on because I know that one day this, everything will be set right and I will be healed forever. Hallelujah. Amen. Word up. I can get down with that. That is true. <clears throat> Third thing that we see in the text is redemption. It says, who redeems your life from the pit. I love these words, who redeems your life from the pit. Now, this is a literal, and we could, we could do a literal and figurative interpretation of this text, and I think both are right. Uh, who heals your life from the pit. So this is David, and there's an actual possibility that David had, like, been in a pit, literally stuck, and, like, a lion was coming at him because this stuff happened to David because this is the day and age in which he lived. And the Lord actually literally rescued him from a pit of trial and torture coming at him. But I believe there's also a figurative, right? The pit of his sin, right? He reached down, Ephesians says, and pulled him up, right? He, he, he reached down in the pit and put his feet on higher ground. So, so I, I believe that this can happen two ways in our lives in the room. He can redeem us from pits, right? So I don't know if you've ever, or maybe this morning you find yourself in a pit, God wants to redeem your life from the pit you find yourself in today. You don't have to stay in it. But what you do need to do is cry out to God and say, God, would you rescue me from the pit I find myself in? Maybe today it's the pit of addiction. And, and you are stuck down in that pit. And as much as you've tried to get out of it yourself and tried to get out of it yourself, you can't. It might be a drug addiction. It, it might be an addiction to pornography. It might be an addiction to all kinds of stuff. You might be addicted to, to Netflix. Like, that's a real thing. Binge watching is actually leading to an addiction, right? You might be addicted to your phone. You can't stop looking at it. And in these moments where we find ourselves in these pits where we're disregarding God and we're stuck and we can't climb out. We cry out to God and say, God, would you redeem me? Would you pull me up from this pit? Would you help me? And I know this, when we, when we cry out with a genuine heart, saying, God, I need your help. And what's hard about that genuine heart thing is we don't always know it. We typically don't know it until afterwards. These moments where I'm just, I'm done. I believe the day I was saved was when Ryan Johnston was finally done with Ryan Johnston. And I said, God, would you bring me out of this pit that I found myself in? I cannot do it on my own. I don't believe I've ever prayed more genuine and sincere words to God than I did that time. Now, I'd said that before to God. 
but I didn't really mean it. Because two days later, I was back at the same stuff. This time, I was done. Called the end of our rope. This moment of saying, God, would you rescue me from the pit? See, there's redeeming us from pits in our life, which he does, and he will, and he can. But there's also redeeming us from the pit, right? The pit. And there's one pit, and we've all fallen into the pit. And Jesus will redeem us and is redeeming us from the, from the pit of sin, where we were trapped and ensnared by the devil, following our own ways and the ways of this world. And he reaches down and he pulls us up and he sets our feet on solid ground to where we can live for him and we can love him. Redemption comes when Jesus comes down and takes this broken life and he redeems it and he gives it a new course and a new path in which it could not have went on without him. So in this, we're making space to remember the forgiveness we've received, the healing that he gives, the redemption that only he can bring in our life. And the third is identification, this identification that I can now have in him. So it says, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. So who crowns, to be, a, to be adorned with beauty, when you're crowned, right? We do this all the time in our house. We have all kinds of little crowns, right? And, we, and I, I, this bald head's got crowned many times in my house, right? You get, you get crowned. You're the king now. You're, I may have been the princess a few times, right? This is what we do, right? You're crowned. You're adorned with beautiful. Oh, the crown is so beautiful. So what God does is he doesn't just rescue us from the pit, but he does... In this text, I don't know if you feel it, but it, it almost just, just gets progressively wonderful. It, it just like you just move up every verse and you, you, your feet just get a little bit further off the ground. Your heels move up. Like I can't, can't believe this truth of what God has done. Who crowns you, that we are adorned with beauty, with steadfast love and mercy. So, well, this beauty isn't something external, but it's something internal. It's something deep inside me. Love and mercy, the attributes of God. I possess what I, what I did not before even know. My life is beautiful and attractive in a way that I did not possess before. That the, the shining radiance of the glory of the Father is shining from my life in a way that I could not have had it prior. Now, for some of us, this is challenging because we don't see ourselves quite rightly. Pardon me while I forgot something on the front row. We don't see ourselves quite rightly, and so we think, I'm really not that beautiful, and can God really love me that much? I mean, really, what do I have to offer? Because I'm so ugly, and I'm so stained by my sin and my past, I, I don't have much to offer God. I read this this morning, and I thought, I need to say it. So Ken Boa, one of my favorite authors, he, read the, he wrote this. The next time you feel like God can't use you, remember, Noah was a drunk, Abraham was too old, Jeremiah and Timothy were too young, Isaac was a daydreamer, Jacob was a liar, Leah was unattractive, Joseph was abused, Moses had a stutter problem, Gideon was afraid, Samson was a womanizer, Rahab was a prostitute, David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal, Jonah ran from God, Naomi was a widow, Job went bankrupt, John the Baptist ate bugs, Peter denied Christ, the disciples fell asleep, Martha worried about everything, Mary Magdalene was, a pro was we know, and then the Samaritan woman was divorced more than once, Zacchaeus was too small, Paul was too religious, Timothy had an ulcer, and Lazarus was dead. 
God has a history of taking very broken people and doing incredibly wonderful things with their lives. Because it's not dependent on who you and I are, and it's not depending on our past, but God is adorning us with a beauty that is not of us. Jesus is shining into us and making us and transforming us into something we could have never been on our own. There we go. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, that he is giving me something and adorning me with something inside of me that is far beyond me. And it makes me just want to explode with joy because I cannot believe that he has made me what I am because it is not true of my old identity. But in him, but him, I am a new man. And I'm adorned with his beauty, with his steadfast love and mercy. The wife of missionary Adoniram Judson told him that a newspaper, newspaper article likened him to some of the apostles. Judson replied, I do not want to be like Paul or any mere man. I want to be like Christ. I want to follow him only. Copy his teachings, drink in his spirit, and place my feet in his footprints. Oh, to be more like Christ. We have a new identity in Jesus, and he is transforming us into his very own image. Paul will say it like this to the church. He said, I am in the anguish of childbirth that you might be formed into the image of Jesus. We are being transformed and changed, given a new identity in him. Fifth and the last that we see in the text is, is satisfaction. It says, who satisfies you with who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles? Who satisfies you? Satisfaction typically has this idea of a, something that I've ate or drank that brings satisfaction in my life. Now, for me, when I think back to this the moment of greatest like thirst quenched, hunger relieved. There's only one time in my life I can ever point back to, and it was when I was a wrestler. And I remember cutting weight. And what you'd do is we'd, you'd, you'd like, I would lose about like 12 pounds in two days. And it wasn't real weight, right? It was just water. And now they, they treat wrestlers way better now, right? A bunch of sissies. And so we, we did this like really hard, like, so we cut weight, and we were really dumb about it. We'd go eat a huge breakfast like two days before, and then we're like, okay, now I'm not going to eat for two days. And so what typically would happen for me is I was right, like I had a half a pound to lose overnight. So I wouldn't drink from the beginning of wrestling practice until I weighed in that next morning. And I remember stepping on those scales, I'd weigh in, and then I would, I'd make weight, and I would sprint to whatever water source there was. And I would sit and I would drink. And I just remember never being able to get enough to drink because it was so satisfying to me because I was so, so, so thirsty. You're like, I don't feel bad for you. That's stupid. Why would you ever do that? I agree with you. It wasn't smart, right? And so, so what, what, what it, this, this satisfies, it's this moment where this thing, this longing inside of me is finally quenched. And so he satisfies with me with what? With good. And I, and I believe this... We long for good. We, we long for peace. 
We, we long for something that, that is meaningful. We, we long for something that, that fills our innermost soul. And what, he, what it says, he, he is the one who satisfies this with good, and good could even be translated abounding joy, who satisfies us with, with abounding joy, meaning that there's, there's something that he quenches deep in me that can't be quenched in anything else. I mean, I can try to quench it in this, and I can try to quench it in that, and I can run after this, but only he is the one that truly brings satisfaction. And then it says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's meaning that you have an abounding joy in him that is ageless. That there is a vigor and a joy that is not dependent upon age, but will transcend the span and the time of your life. And we know this is true. Any godly person that's lived a long time and died a godly death is someone we look at and they said, they, there was a vigor and a joy inside them in spite of their situation, in spite of their struggle, in spite of their aches and pains, there was something deeper in them. Youth being renewed is this youth, right? It's vigor, it's joy. This is what we would kind of put with youthful. And he's saying that, that in us, it will be renewed like the eagles, meaning in strength and the most, one of the most powerful things that we see in creation and how it moves and how it goes about life. Psalm 73, 26 says it like this, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and portion forever. If you don't memorize scripture, just memorize that verse. Just say it over and over and over again. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He is the one who satisfies. He is the one that I want to eat from. He is the one that I drink from. He is the bread of life. He is the water of life. He is the true source. He is what my soul needs more than anything else. He is the all-satisfying one, the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So we see that he gives us forgiveness, healing, redemption. We have an identification now with him, crowned with steadfast love and mercy. And he gives us satisfaction in life. So how does this really work out, right? So these are true things. We should not forget these. We should not run from these things. We should, we should center our life on these things. So how does this work in the day-to-day of life? So to just finish three things that I think help us do this. First is identify truth or truth, right? Identify truth. That in this text, what we see are truths about God. God gives forgiveness. He gives healing. He gives redemption. He, he, I, he, we have a new identity in him. He satisfies us. This is true. It's not to be debated. It's God's word. It's true. It's without error. This is what God has done for us. And so we identify truth. And second, it's not enough just to identify truth. That'll just wash away. It'll just kind of move away. I need to assess my life. So second, assess my life. I need to look at my life and say, am I living? Am I living? Recognizing the forgiveness I've received. Am I living recognizing that one day I will be fully healed? And am I living in light of that? Typically, if we're not living in light of that, we live in fear, right? Am I living in light of this redemption that I've received in Jesus, that he redeems me from pits 
and from the pit? Am I living in light of this new identity I have in him? That I'm loved and cherished, that I'm secure and I'm safe, that I have his steadfast love and mercy now in my life? Am I living satisfied in him or am I seeking other things for satisfaction because I somewhere inside of myself don't quite believe that he is the all-satisfying one? So we assess these things in our life. We talk to God about these. We claim these truths and we say, these things are true, God. Help me to live these things out in my life. And that's the third, live it out. We assess truth, right? We, 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 we identify truth. We assess our lives. And then the third, we live it out. And if you could kind of think of this as like a, a, a cycle, right? A cycle. It's a cycle that never stops and it never ends in our life. And the cycle is this constant, day by day, hour by hour, living, where I am remembering truth, I am assessing my life, and I'm living it out. See, remembering in real life means that I have to actually think about these things in a normative way in the day-to-day of my life. And the question that only you can assess about you is, do you live in such a way where you are identifying truths about what God has done. And by the way, this is for our own good because his truth frees us. And are you looking inwardly of how does my life align with his truth? And then saying, God, I want my life to reflect you and to honor you. And so Lord, the truth, my life kind of filtered through the lens of your truth. Help me live out your truth in the day-to-day of my life that you might be honored and glorified, that I might not live in disobedience to you, but I might live in obedience to you so that I might honor you because you are worthy of being honored. We're about to sing a song, and the song is um, a song called Oceans. And in the song, there's these two lines. There's this one, there's lots of lines, but two I want to just tell us. The song says, I am yours and you are mine. It's, it's a confessional song in that way of me declaring to God that, hey, I am yours. And these truths that we've spoken of, I believe them to be true in my life. I believe that I've received your forgiveness. I believe that you are the one who has healed me. I believe that you have redeemed me. I believe that I am identified with you. And I believe that you are the all-satisfying one. I am yours and you are mine. And there's this other declarative statement. It's toward the end of the song and it says, give me faith that is without borders. And it's really this moment of, of declaring, God, I want to live this out in my life. And so take me outside of these little boxes that I've created around my life and would you lead me and guide me by the power of your Holy Spirit in the day-to-day of life that I would honor you with all that I am, because truly, Lord, I am overwhelmed of your forgiveness, your healing, your redemption, the identity I have, and how satisfying you are. I'm going to pray, and after I pray, we're going to sing. And I hope that as we pray this song today, that it's a space that allows you to, again, give yourself over to God, remember the truths of what he's deeply done, and commit by faith, to live this out in the day-to-day of our lives. Let's pray together.
Father, we, we thank you this morning for your love and your care. Jesus, we believe. We believe that you have given us all that we need in you. And so, Lord, help us this morning as we've been reminded from your word of this great work that you have done, this great work of forgiveness, this great work of healing, this great work of redemption. Jesus, this great work of giving us a new identity and making us new men and new women that that shine your glory into this world. We thank you this morning that you are truly the satisfying one. There's no other well that we can drink from, no other food that we can eat, nothing in this world that will satisfy us with good because, Lord, it is just who you are. You are the one who gives us all that we need. And so, Lord, help us to live it out. Help us to identify truth and live according to your truth. Help our life to be sifted through the truth of your word. And, Lord, help us to be faithful in the day-to-day to live out who we are, remembering you in the day-to-day, moved by your spirit. So the person in this room, Lord, that, that you're convicting in some way this morning who has trusted in you, Lord, I pray that you give them strength even as we sing this song to commit, to recommit, to to confess before you this morning. Help them to make space to remember today. Lord, for the person in the room who's never trusted in you, Lord, I pray that all of your benefits that are listed in this text, Lord, I pray that you would help them confess their sin and repent their sin, their iniquity, missing the mark, turning from you, living in rebellion. And Lord, by faith today, you would help them to trust in you, to live for you and to love you all the days of their life. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Lord, help us respond, we ask in Jesus' name.